This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you can. You can be seated. That is always such a great song to sing right before we, we open God's word. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 58 this morning as we continue to walk through these chapters toward the end of, of Isaiah. And we're talking today about fake religion versus a true relationship with God. And this is just one of, one of these incredibly convicting passages. Wow. And especially for, for, for people who are in church, who are, who are, who are, who are part of the, the worship of, of, of God, and, and we want our worship to be real and from the heart, and we want it to match up with our lives. And this is like one of these passages that just kind of calls out hypocrisy and pretense and inauthenticity, uh, which all of us have been guilty of at times in our lives because we're all, we're all sinners. And, and this is a passage that just that, that, that calls out sin and it gets in our face, and it's incredibly convicting. Let's look at it together. God says, cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways. Like a nation, that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? Why we have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed? Look, God says, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light 
will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. Father, we pray that as we dig into your word today that, that we, would, we would do so with, a, with humble hearts, um, open to being convicted by your spirit, knowing that this is not just about ancient Israelites, that, that this is about us. This is, this is a time for, for, for us as people who, who claim to know you and claim to love you to look in the mirror and ask ourselves if our, if our walk matches our talk. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would reveal any inauthenticity in, in, in our lives, any, anything that's fake in our lives, Lord, that, that we would be real in our, our walk with you. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak now through your word. Lord, just give us open, open hearts. Humble us. Lord, deal with us by the power of your spirit. Bring repentance that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And one day I was in Morocco and we were on a mission trip we were talking about a while ago and on this particular trip we were trekking through the atlas mountains and so we were just kind of going with this team through uh, villages and kind of loving on people as we went and making new friends that could kind of be followed up on later on and that that type of thing And, and on this particular day we had covered a lot, of, a lot of miles on rugged terrain in those mountains and going up and down, going up and down mountains. And, and we had even stopped in one of those villages and we, we played soccer for like two hours with some young guys that, that were there. And I'll tell you, at the end of that day, I was so incredibly tired, but it was like the best kind of tired. It was like a fulfilling kind of tired because it had been such a wonderful, fruitful day of ministry. But... I can remember just being so hot and grabbing one of our, our, our water bottles and we were super careful on this trek to drink only bottled water because we knew our, our stomachs would not be able to, to take uh, any, anything else. And so I grabbed one of, our, one of our, our water bottles and I just started swigging that thing and I was about halfway through and I saw one of our Moroccan guides his eyes just became wide and he, he, this look of alarm just crossed his face as he told me to stop. And he told me that what had happened was that it was, it was bottled water initially, but it had already been emptied by somebody else and that he had, he had filled it up from the stream that we had just passed through and we had just passed through that and that 
stream had lots of livestock around, and he, he was alarmed, and I was alarmed. Well, I didn't wait to start taking antibiotics. I started, like, immediately before anything bad happened, because I thought that I was drinking something that was pure, but it could have been something that was poison. And the people that Isaiah is writing to in this chapter have been poisoned toward God, but not by some scandalous sin like, you know, murder or adultery or theft or whatever. No, they have been poisoned toward God by religion. John Piper's dad was an evangelist, and I heard John Piper say one time that his dad would, would tell him, he said, Johnny, you know what, it's a, whole lot, it's a whole lot easier to get people saved than to get them lost. <laughs> and what he meant by that was that a lot of times when people come from a really overtly sinful background, they, they don't need a whole lot of convincing that they are sinners in need of a savior. But when people are religious, but lost, they can be some of the most difficult people to reach because they think that they've got it all together. And, and that's the case with the people that Isaiah is, is writing to here in chapter 58. But listen, we have to be very, very careful because we could just dismiss this and say, he's talking about ancient Israelites. Isaiah is just writing to ancient Israelites. Now, this is one of these passages that, that for people of faith, like most of the people in this, in this room, this is just one of these passages that we need, to, that, that causes us, should cause us to examine our own lives for hypocrisy and pretense and inauthenticity and to cast ourselves on the mercy of God and then allow him to use us as conduits of mercy in the lives of others. That's what this chapter is about. So what do we see here? The first thing is authentic faith versus religious fakery. Authentic faith versus religious fakery. Let's look at verse one. This is God speaking to Isaiah here in verse one about how he, he is to speak. God says to Isaiah, cry out loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. God tells Isaiah, I do not want you to hold back here. What you tell my people is not to be quiet. <laughs> it's not to be private. <laughs> this is to be out loud. He said, I want you to raise your voice like a ram's horn, the, the, the shofar is what he's talking about, like this. A friend of mine got me this in, in Israel some years ago. God is, God is saying here to Isaiah, I want you to raise your voice like someone blowing the shofar. Well, they would blow 
these things in, in two cases. One would be in times of alarm, and the other would be to summon the whole community together to stop everything that they were doing and to listen. And this is, is both of those things here. It's both these things. Because it's a time of alarm. Now most of them are not alarmed, but they should be alarmed <laughs> about the sin that they're blind to. And it's a time when they should put aside everything else and listen to what God is, is saying. So God tells Isaiah here, raise your voice like the shofar because I'm about to enumerate my people's sins. And then he says about them in verse two, and listen, these words are just dripping with sarcasm. God says, they seek me day after day and delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. <laughs> now the key word here in verse two is like. <laughs> he says, they, they seek me day after day and delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right. Sometimes it's translated as if. <laughs> I was like, that was teen culture, in the, that was an expression, teen culture in the, in, the, in, the, in the 90s, as if, right? And, and God is saying here, like, as if they are a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of, of, of God. He says, they are like, they, they're doing all these pious things, right? They, they seem like a people who are seeking me day after day and delighting to know my ways and asking for righteous judgments and delighting in the nearness of God. Let me tell you, they would not want the nearness of God. If God came near, like they would be incinerated. Um, and so, he is, he's saying here that they, they are appearing to be one thing, but actually they're another. Like they are, they, 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 they are like, they're doing these pious things like people who, who do what is right, but they're not doing what is right. They're not. They're playing a role. They're play acting. It was really interesting. The first time I went to Israel to go to Sepphoris, which was a, a Roman city just within easy walking distance of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So just, I mean, not far at all, easy walking distance from Nazareth. You had this totally Roman city with a theater and stuff like that. And, and so scholars believe that Jesus and Joseph as carpenters probably did work in Sepphoris. And so Jesus is very familiar with the stage, with, with theater. And when you read the Gospels and, and you see the word hypocrites in your, in your Bible, that Greek word comes from the stage. It, it, it means someone who's playing a role, someone who's wearing a mask, they're, 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 they're play acting. But you see, actors know that they're playing a role. <laughs> like an actor knows, this is, this is not real life, this is not really who I am. Just playing a role. But but the problem with with religious fakes is that 
a lot of times they, they're play acting, but they don't know they're play acting. <laughs> like they, these people think this is, this is real. Like, like we are the authentic people of God. Like we have it together. They don't, they're playing a role, but they, they're, they're play acting, but they don't realize they're play acting. They are blind, blind. In John 9, Jesus says, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. See, it's, it's one thing to be blind, but the most dangerous condition is to be blind and not know you're blind. And, and think that you can see. That was the Pharisees. That's the people that Isaiah is addressing here. That's many people who profess Christ today. Lost without knowing that you're lost. Blind without knowing that you're blind. So how can people like that be saved? Because we have a God who specializes in opening the eyes of the blind, right? And so you see people like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, right, who were, who were there to, to, taking Jesus down from the cross and wrapping up his, his body and all of those. those, those were, they, were, they were Pharisees, members of the Sanhedrin, right? Re- religious but lost, and they were saved. The same thing with the Apostle Paul, right? Because we have a God who can, who can make the scales fall from blind eyes. Praise God. Let's look at verse two again. God says of these people, again, with words dripping with sarcasm, they seek me day after day and delight to know my ways. These people give every appearance of being serious about their faith. But they are self-deceived. Why? Because they are hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. James says in James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. It is so easy to be self-deceived if we are hearers of the word. Because hearing is like, is important, right? Hearing is essential. But, but the danger is that we would be church attenders and Bible readers and people who are having our quiet time and all of that. And, and, and because we are hearing God's word, we equate that with, with doing God's word. But no, hearing God's word is to equip us to go out and do God's word and to make an impact in the lives of of, of others in, in, in ministry. And see, the people that Isaiah is writing to here, they're doing all kinds of religious things. I mean, they're attending worship. They're doing things like they're fasting and, th- and things like that. They're doing all these pious things that are, that are not wrong. Those things are all good. But yet at the same time, 
what are they not doing? We get a hint of it here in verse two. He says that, that they, they're, they're, they're like a nation, but they're not a nation like this. They're like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice, the justice of their God. But see, in reality, they have abandoned the justice of their God. And that is seen in the way that they are, are treating other people. It's a lot of words, but it's not backed up. What they say with their lips is not backed up by their lives. First John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. James, again, and James, James 2 just gets in our, gets in our faces. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a great day. <laughs> Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Listen, if our Christianity is not making the world a better place, there's something wrong with our brand of Christianity. Ray Ortland says authentic Christianity expresses that heart for Christ in basically two ways. First, in worship and praise and open Bibles, all beautiful to God, but also in courageous evangelism and defending the weak and feeding the hungry. It's not either or, it's both and. Look at the whining that these people are doing here at the beginning of verse three. They, they say to God, but why have, we, why have we fasted? But you have not seen. We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. This gives us a window into kind of how they view God. They're, they're like, hey God, look, we're doing all these, all these things. We're, we're fasting. Like we're doing all these things for you. Uh, where, where, when are you gonna come through for us? Where are the results? When are you gonna, where, where, you know, where have you been lately? What have you, you know, this sounds so much like the prosperity gospel of our day. Like seeking to manipulate God to get what you want. Look at the end of verse three. God says to them, look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. God says on the, at the very time when you were doing all this piety and you're fasting, you are oppressing the people that, that, that work for you. I mean, just think about, think about like for instance in our own country prior to the Civil War, you know, people professing to be followers of Christ and yet at the same time holding human beings in, 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 in bondage claiming to be pro-family while at the same time being a part of a system where families were separated, husbands and wives separated, children separated from their parents at a whim. Claiming to be pro-evangelism and pro-discipleship while denying people the opportunity to learn how to read the Bible building church buildings with slave labor or with profits from slavery with money dripping with blood. And yet, 
we, we know that, that some of those people that, that owned slaves were, were, were truly followers of Christ. Some of them were. You've heard me quote Jonathan Edwards, right? It's one of America's greatest theologians, a, a hero of mine in, in many ways. And yet, not only did he own slaves, but he even wrote defenses of it. Uh, now, now, what does that tell us? <laughs> It, it, should, it, should, it should scare us is what it should do. <laughs> because there were people at that time that, that genuinely followed Christ, and yet they were blind, so blind to that sin. Why should that concern us? Because we need to ask ourselves, we're, we're creatures of our time too. <laughs> what's, what's the stuff that we're blind to? <laughs> In our time, what are, the, what are the sins that we're blind to? And that's why we all need to be praying like David, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting because we are so prone, you know, to, 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 to not see, to not see our, 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 own, our own sin. Verse 4. God says to them, you fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fists. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Here they are. You know, they're attending worship. like They're doing things like, like fasting and all these religious exercises when behind the scenes... Tongues are wagging, people gossiping, slander is happening, people tearing one another down. You, you, ever, you ever been a, a part of a church that's like that? I mean, where people are coming together and people are smiling and worshiping together on Sunday and all that, and behind the scenes, people are just like, just like snakes at each other. Uh, it's, that's a terrible thing. Proverbs 6 and verses 16 through 19 says, the Lord hates six things, in fact, seven that are detestable to him, arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. You notice that God puts the one who stirs up trouble among brothers in the same list as murderers and, and, and all the rest. But that's what was happening. They're fasting, they're doing this, these pious things, but with contention and strife. Striking viciously with your fist, either with physical violence or with violent words, tearing other people down. God says, if, if you think you can do that, and, you're, and your voice is going to be heard, in heaven, what does he say here? You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. God says your prayers aren't reaching higher than the ceiling. <laughs> because the truth is that you're out of line. 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You think that your relationship with God can somehow be divorced from the way that you treat other people and relationships with other people? <laughs> that is self-deception. 
verse five. God says, will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, to spread out, out sackcloth and ashes? Looks really pious, right? God's not impressed. God's not impressed. But now God begins to tell us what would make an impression. Verses six and seven. God says, isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? This is repentance. This is repentance. John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This is fruit in keeping with repentance. And now in verses eight and following, God tells us about the results of repentance. The results of repentance. He begins in verse eight. God says, then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard at that time when you call. The Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. We see four beautiful results of repentance here. First, first of all, God says in verse eight, then your light will appear like the dawn. When, when, when repentance comes, genuine heart repentance, it's like the, the beautiful dawning of a new day, of, of new beginnings. It's healing. He says here in verse eight, your, your recovery will come quickly. You're, you're healing. See, see, these people have been spiritually sick, but they didn't know they were sick. You don't know how sick you were until you begin to get well. He says, your, your healing will, will come quickly. And then protection, God's protection. He says, your, your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. God says, I'll be before you. I've got whatever's coming up before you and I've got your back. I'm in front of you and behind you. And then God's presence, verse nine. At that time when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. It's like in that storm on the Sea of Galilee when, when Jesus is walking on the water and, and the disciples are terrified and Jesus gets in the boat and he says, here I am. Don't be afraid because I'm here. God's presence, right? See this beauty, the beauty here, the beautiful results of, 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 of heart repentance. But for that to happen, God says some things have got to stop. And he says at the end of verse nine, if you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, if you'll stop playing the blame game and stop seeing the, the 
flaws and the faults and the sins of everybody else and take a hard look in the mirror. And then some things need to start. Verse 10, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. If God says, if you will start showing mercy and compassion like I have shown you. If you begin to put God first and then others before yourself. It was really cool when Baylor won the national championship the other night and their coach, Scott Drew, who's a follower of Jesus, said we have a culture of joy on our team. And then I was reading about it and what he was talking about was an acrostic, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. Doing life in that order, Jesus first, then others, and then yourself last. But what happens when we do that (laughs) is that God begins to, we begin to experience a satisfaction like we have never experienced. That's why Jesus said that if you seek to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life, you'll find it. You see, if, if you make life all about you, like, if you seek to find your life, you'll lose it. If, it's, if you make life all about you, you're the center of the universe, you never find true satisfaction. But if you, if you lose your life, right, in the service of God and others, then you, you experience what life is all about. You begin to find true life at that point. I could not get my mind off verse 12 this week. Wow, verse 12. Oh, you discover so many new treasures in the Bible all the time. Some of you, God says, will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. We see all these shows today about about renovations, home, home makeovers. It, it is incredible, right? We're, we're you, we're the way that people can take kind of, kind of an old, uh, dilapidated, uh, broken down, cruddy space and just make something incredibly beautiful out of it. But what God is saying here is that that should be the role that we take as God's people in the lives of others. Repairers, restorers of the broken. We're living in a broken world, broken lives all around us. God's calling us as his people, as as people who have received his mercy to, to now be conduits, channels of his mercy to others, to take on the role of, of repairers, of restorers in the lives of others. You hear me quote D.A. Carson sometimes. He's a New Testament scholar. He's Canadian by birth. And as a young man, he was living in Ottawa and he was trained in chemistry and so forth. And, and so he's working in this lab. And, uh, but the spirit of God just really began to, 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 to grip, his, grip his heart. And that, that summer, he heard a, a message that a pastor preached from 
Ezekiel 22.30. And in that passage, God says, I searched for someone. I searched for a person among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap for my people. I searched for such a person and I found none. I found no one. God's calling you and me to allow ourselves to be that someone, to be a repairer, a restorer of broken lives, to, to say like Isaiah says to God in chapter six, Lord, here am I, send me, send me. God, I'm available to you to be used in this broken world. Father, we thank you for the way that you in your mercy mend the broken. Lord, how you take sinners and, 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 and hypocrites like all of us and that you have shown us incredible mercy and that mercy is ultimately shown to us in your son. Lord, we thank you that Jesus shed his blood for sinners like us and that he's been raised from the dead that we can have new life. And Lord, having, having been given new life, Lord, you call us to be, to bring, be bringers of life to others. And, 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 and restorers and repairers of, 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 this, of broken lives and this broken world around us. Lord, make us available to you. To be used by you. Lord, humble us. Humble us that we would be more aware of our own sin than anybody else's. And to be grateful for the mercy that we have been shown by you. And then having received that mercy, to go out and be channels of that mercy in the lives of others. In our communities and around the world. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. 
How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.